What do you say to a master? One should just listen. And though I went to see him in St. Louis in the fall of 2011, armed with thousands of questioning words, I asked only a third of what I prepared. For his high-calorie answers obliterated the need. That day, Bill and his wife, Mary, showed me the greatest kindness. After a morning session at home in his kitchen, we repaired James-style to the American Fiction Room for the afternoon. There, he revealed things. It did dawn on me that I sat with a man who interacted with Wittgenstein, who counted William Gaddis as a great friend. Even more significantly, I sat with the man who wrote The Tunnel. He'd been touchy about going through with the interview, saying, before the recorders recorded, being interviewed isn't good for the soul. I now know what he meant, or at least I wholeheartedly agree with him. Don't think about what you do, do it. Reward enough. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, April 26, 2021, and today for 42 Minutes, we're headed back into the tunnel to see what we can recognize, and we'll do so with writer and critic, oh my goodness, Greg, I did not ask you how to pronounce your last name. Gerke. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> and we'll do so with writer and critic, Greg Gerke. What does it mean today to experience a work of art? Where can we turn in search of the genuine, the sincere, the truly accomplished? And even if we were to find them, would we know how to acknowledge their value? The essays in See What I See are the fruits of a lifetime spent grappling with these questions. By turns lyrical and arc, they seek answers in the artistic achievements of the great masters, from Gaddis and Gass to Kubrick and Romer, as well as in less likely places. For Greg Gerke, the nectar of aesthetic experience is found as often in the human body as in poetry or prose. This new and expanded version of See What I See with an introduction by noted scholar Stephen Moore is the perfect companion for the bookworm or cinephile. Greg Gerke lives in Brooklyn, New York. His collection of stories, especially The Bad Things, was published in the UK in 2019 by Splice. His work has appeared in Tin House, Film Quarterly, LA Review of Books, The Kenyan Review, and other publications. His most recent book, See What I See, was published this past April 7th by Zero Gram Press. More information about him can be found at his website, greggerke.com. It really is an honor to be welcoming him to the show today. How are you doing, Greg? Great. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I found you by way of the tunnel at 25. How did you become involved with that project? Uh, I believe Ted Morrissey, who who you've had on the show, contacted me uh, that he was planning to do something. And I think the pandemic had just hit, uh, so it, everyone was at home, so it seemed like a good uh, time to do something like this. And I've known him for a few years. Uh, he's uh, done a lot on gas and Gaddis, and um, he reached out and, and asked if I knew other people in the ga gas world to see if, if they knew, if they wanted to do something. And uh, he, he brought this all together, like 10, 10 or 11 people contributed to it. You dedicate your new collection of essays to Bill Gass, the master and my father. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's just starting to dawn on me right now what an immense figure he is for you know American literature. Uh, yeah. how did you come to gas? Many years ago, initially, uh, in, I had a creative writing teacher who gave me, uh, in the heart of the heart of the country, the novella to read. So that was the first, um, interaction. 
And I mean, it was quite interesting, even though I was in my 20s and didn't know much about the world. But it was still, you know, it was so odd and and fun and lyrical at the same time. And then I didn't I didn't really know about the essays that he'd written. Uh, but I think like six or seven years later, I, he did the audio book for the tunnel wherein he read the entire thing out loud and he did an event in New York city. And I, I went and saw him there and, and then still probably just a few years after that, did I start some people I knew, uh, you know, were talking of his essays, plus the fiction. And then I finally read the fiction, uh, the essays, and the, and the rest of the fiction, the tunnel, uh, the novella collections. And luckily I went to, I, I got in touch with, with him through his agent, and I went to interview him for Tin House magazine, in 2011, as you said, uh, and, um, just, you know, the months before that I was preparing and <laughs> I probably, even though I wrote a third, I probably asked a half the questions really, not, not even a third, um, not even two thirds. I mean, so it was quite an education to just to take in all of his, uh, essay collections. I don't have an MFA and I'm a fiction writer, uh, as well. So it, it was like taking a, a course and then you, you want to go meet the teacher, the master. So I, I think I was lucky enough to do that. I think it was the last extended interview he ever gave. Um, his, he had a book, a novel that he had just finished, the last one, Middle C. And yeah, I don't think I don't think he traveled after that. Maybe he did once. He came to New York, and I and I saw him again. But uh, yeah, it was quite an experience to to ask him. It was it's probably a ten thousand word uh, interview that was subsequently put, the, the full version was put up on the internet. One can find that. Did you feel, <laughs> this is always the interesting thing, you want to mm -hmm. prepare as, as well as you can, but, you know, there's there's uh, time limitations and this and that. And then what was it like in the moment for you? Uh, I think I learned moment by moment <laughs> I, I just, just, I mean, we talked for a little bit before we even started it and I was there, uh, he was doing an event, uh, reading an Elizabeth Bishop poem at an event at Wash U, U in St. Louis. So I'd, I talked to him the night before as well and then came, uh, to his house the next day. And I think, after the first half hour, I started to learn cues and started to just change what I what I was saying and what I would ask because I could see that he was he was hitting so many marks with the early questions that a lot of the questions were redundant. So yeah, I kept adjusting <laughs> as I went on. And I'd done this. I'd done this once before. I went to interview uh, Paula Fox at her house in Brooklyn. So um, maybe I was, you know, I had something from that experience as well. But he, we did two sessions, so that was also that also helped because I could see when I took a break for lunch that. Uh, you know, there were so many things that he'd already tackled. Uh, and yeah, and then the afternoon session, you know, he he, he talked about things that, uh, he, that I hadn't seen mentioned anymore, like uh, 
he'd been very uh, active, active in activism and <laughs> was kind of ushered out of Purdue University. Um, things, things you can see here and there in the fiction and the essays, but not so explicitly. Uh, so the afternoon, I think, was much more relaxed. He, he'd had a nap and uh, it, it was just, uh, it, it was a great time to, to be there and to be book book ended by all we were in the library and there, there were you know he has had 30 40,000 books maybe maybe more and we were sitting by the i think the american fiction section so it, it was quite humbling to be to be in that atmosphere did you get a sense of like his practice as a reader and then also as a writer like how he would structure his time uh i think at, at that time i mean he was slowing down he was i think i think he was 87 or 88 when i interviewed him so he was he was slowing down a bit um just for health reasons uh we didn't, I, I don't know if I went through through the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, we talked about the tunnel, about him writing the tunnel and that he, he wrote the second half of it in Los Angeles on a, uh, at the, the Geary Center, I believe, uh, kind of, he had a, uh, a paid... Uh, what you know, sabbatical or, or or something there, like residency thing. Residency, right? So I think for the first time in many years, maybe his whole career, he could freely write every day for hours and hours. And he wrote the second half of the tunnel there after you know probably twenty years were spent writing the first half, and he was writing it during the time of the L.A. riots in 1992. Um, so this is, I'm sure this is originally writing it because it, it only came out in 95, so there was a lot of revision after that. Uh, but he told me that he read everything out loud, uh, his own editing process. I don't know if he was reading out loud to himself or to others. But to read the entire tunnel out loud, <laughs> uh, so I, I've taken I've taken that up from him. I, I certainly do that in everything I write, nonfiction and fiction. I read it out loud to someone, to to just to get it right, uh, but also to revise to hear the sound of the words was so important to him and to, I think, most writers worth their salt that they need to hear it or, you know, to to hear it inside their head. Possibly that works for some of them, but the rhythm, you can hear things that are off or on by reading it out loud, especially to like an audience, because then you'd really uh, be afraid of, uh, of what they're hearing and you can hear more mistakes rather than like reading out loud to a loved one. Have you tried his audio version of the tunnel? It's, it's spectacular. Oh, you, you've heard it. Yeah. Here and there I have, uh, not the, not the entire thing. I, I haven't, I don't think I've heard an entire book, uh, uh on audio yet. I've read things out loud to people, but uh, I haven't heard a recording. But I, I know that I've seen him read, you know, a number of times, a couple of times live. So I, I know it's it's it has to be quite entertaining, right? Yeah, yeah. It brings certain things to life for sure. I'm curious what it was like the first time you came to the tunnel you know what did what did you make of it what year was that and then, and then like uh you know 
explain <laughs> what you thought about it. Sure. Uh, I think it was 2010 when I read it the first time. And you know, I think I read most everything else before that in order to be ready to read it. Um, even I even mean the essays, not just the fiction. Sure. Uh, well, and, and there's a there's a number of essays which he includes uh, the tunnel. For instance, in retrospection, he talks about composing the tunnel and and looking back on his career. So I read often about it and. For that time and my age at that time, 30, mid 30s, I it was more about the sentences, the music, um, not so much the political aspects of it, even though they were there. Um, and yes, everyone's, you know, Kohler is a monster, et cetera, et cetera. But I wasn't. That, that wasn't sticking out for me that time. It, it was more just about reading it to to read it for the first time, which is, not, you know, not even to have read it. It's like Gass would even say this, to prepare to read. You read the first time to prepare to read it, you know, the subsequent times. Uh, so I went over it and then... You know, I tried to write little blog posts about it that aren't very good now. I, I They were not included in the book that uh, I came out with. But they were just little, little reports about grappling with it. But there's a lot of supplementary material, uh, the, the Michael Silverblatt interviews and Gas gas really talks about it and tells you how to approach it in in those interviews and and other interviews and essays. I did read the there there was a book that came out about the tunnel, a group of essays, I think maybe three or four years after it came out. So I did read that as well. So I read a lot of the literature on it at the time. And so how many times have you read it now? Well, and now just, I mean, I went back and read certain passages here and there, even out loud. And then uh, I just, for the Tunnel at 25, I read it for the second time fully um, last summer. So it had been, it had been a little while. Yeah, I spent last summer in the Tunnel too. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of hard to, <laughs> there's such, yeah, I, summer reading and winter reading, <laughs> summer reading the tunnel is, is <laughs> I don't know. I think some books have certain seasons uh, to be read in. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else feels this way. I, I do, but I think Henry James is good for, you know, fall and winter and cold days. Um, I I don't know about the tunnel, but uh, (laughs) it, um, I mean, a lot of it is, for me, of reading is is where I was when even reading the book, the experience of that, you know, the, and that's what the, the essay book is really about. It's about how you experience the work of art and and where you are in your life at the time. Well, then looking back to the summer, like uh, your second time Mm -hmm. when you're, you're really starting to read the tunnel as gas would say, you know, the first time you're preparing, um, you know, what, what kind of feelings do you have about it with a little bit of time between you and being in Kohler's head for the summer? Well, of course, you have Trump being the president now, so that's an overarching, or or then, that was an overarching thing. Um, 
and I had a child within those 10 years. So, uh, a lot of different, a lot of different things came out. I think, you know, I, I'm still piecing together exactly what they might be. Um, but you know, when I think when you have a child, you begin to see the world differently. So I was, I was starting to see <laughs> his attitude towards his children, the, the character's attitude towards the children and the wife. Um, that was coming out more in bold. Uh, the the politics, you know, they were they were coming as well. I, I don't. I try to keep away from politics, but. Um, you know, during those last four years, it, it was very hard to keep away from them. So that element was there as well. But I, I, I saw, I mean, I was keeping track of so many people were reading the book as well last summer. And I heard your interviews with David Arbach and uh, Ted. And... So what I wrote about was, you know, the the creation. It, it's often we, we've gotten a point in the last ten years where, uh, in literary circles, we confuse the uh, speaker of the poem with the poet and conflate them so easily, and you know there was so much about gas. Uh, is he this, you know, he, why is he having sympathies with this, with this character? So I was thinking a lot about that at the time of reading it the second time. Uh, and, you know, from reading Gas and seeing him, visiting him, there, you know, it's, it's it's so hard to explain to people uh, about when one takes one's life and twists it, you know, in art like like a, a cotton candy machine, and what comes out. There 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 often seems to be all these people ready to take umbrage and claim, oh that's that's me, or you know friends and relatives. We, we know where you got that. Well, of course, it has to come from somewhere. Everything's autobiographical. And um, so the gas, the gas thing, I was thinking a lot about those issues over the time. And uh, I tried to write to that uh, in the tunnel essay that I wrote. So it's interesting because at this vantage point, I'm looking back with fondness, like a... Uh... <laughs> In, when you're in the tunnel, it's kind of, I mean, it's pretty dark and he he's, yes. he's a really negative narrator. And so it's difficult to, you know, it just, it, there's a, an overarching unpleasantness. And, um, but I definitely think that I would like to go back into the tunnel. I mean, mm-hmm. I, uh, um, just because there's something beautiful about it too. And maybe that is, um, in in both your piece for the tunnel at 25 and in your essay book you you relate an anecdote when gas was on stage with another writer and um he was criticizing gas's sentences could you mm-hmm. elaborate that it's it's kind of a funny comment that he makes about the one uh, John Gardner i assume yeah i think so yeah Gardner and him had these famous debates about fiction in the 70s. And I'm looking for that, right? Yeah, Gardner said, what I think is beautiful, he, Gas, would would not yet think is sufficiently ornate. Uh, the difference is that my 707 will fly and his is too encrusted with gold to get off the ground. And Gas replies, there is always that danger, but... 
what I really want is to have it sit there solid as a rock and have everybody think it is flying. Yeah. So, yeah, there. <laughs> that that says something even about the the poet and speaker of the poem thing. I th- I think as well. Uh, it it it's very ghostly. Uh, and I, and I had a friend who was reading, trying to read the, the book and he put it down. He didn't want to go through with it. And I remember saying to him that I thought, you know, the tunnel, the character eventually will get to his pain, but he has all these ways of, of getting around it. And the first few hundred pages are like that, but little bits and blips of it start to seep in. And I don't want to say it's a it's a large 700 page confession, but there's some aspects to that. And um, he's writing about someone who who is stuck and who is a very flawed character, but he is the character is also able to see through to his faults at some times and and still tries to hide them at others so it's it's a very dicey situation reading situation i think if you read it you end up uh with empathy for Kohler based on you know his past the the just as he shares his life with you you, you understand why he is the way he is mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily celebrate him but you, uh, yeah, you empathize. I mean, it's curious because a book like uh, Lolita um, is celebrated in some strange way too, and and that narrator is also a monster. Yes, yes, and I <laughs> things I I don't know why that does isn't causing more of an uproar. I'm sure it it is, but uh, there's something about, you know, Gass's character is Midwestern, old, white, and it's a a lot of people, me included, have, have had their fill I mean, not of Midwestern, but old white people, you know, it's telling us what what to do and all that. So I can see some of the backlash to that. Well, maybe we'll we'll switch gears a little bit. So, like, I think I was recently telling someone um, books that I want to read over and over again are places that I want to be, like spaces that I enjoy. And our my podcast book club just redid the recognitions. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because the recognitions, you know, is also dark, you know, there's a lot of tragedy that happens in that book too, but there's also a lot of humor and there's a lot of humor in the tunnel too. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I'm looking back with fondness. But so what is, what is your ex- uh, history and experience of the recognitions? Sort of uh, similar. I think I read it around the same time. I read the tunnel or within a year of it. Um, and it blew me away. And I read the Gaddis books in, a, in the order that they were written. So I went from there to J.R. to Carpenter's to Frolic of his own. Um, that the recognitions it was, you know, it was easier in certain ways and, and it was probably just easier in certain ways. It wasn't harder. I think it was, uh, because of the humor and those stretches of, of dialogue in the, in the party scenes, which, you know, really changed things up. I know it towards the end, there's a lot of switching of identities and that can throw a lot of people off. And it, it threw me off as well. Uh, I didn't know who was who 
And luckily we have the, the Gaddis annotations online to <laughs> help us through that. Uh, and then I reread it a few years later, actually, um, because I was, I started uh, a long novel of my own and I think unconsciously I based it on the recognitions, not the story or, or, but just kind of the spirit of it. Um, so I was rereading it to, to, tr to tease, tease it out and, and to, to see more and more how he did it and, and, and how, how things worked. And, um, yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those great books like J.R. and and the Tunnel and Frolic that uh, that beg that beg to be reread. The striking thing to me is just trying to sort out all this. Um, Gaddis and Gas, I think, were born mm -hmm. about the same time. Uh, the recognitions came out in 1955, which is at the very beginning of Gaddis's career, and the tunnel came out in '95, towards the end of uh, Gas's life. I think I, I think um, I'm trying to keep it all straight, but it's a swirl of dates. I don't remember mm -hmm. when Gaddis died, but I, I think it was in the mid to late '90s. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, '98, I think. Um. But then at the, you know, at, if you look at their dates, they're, at, you know, these two guys are beats on, you know, they're not beats, but, um, you know, Kerouac and Burroughs and uh, Ginsburg and those guys are born roughly about the same time, too. And so it's interesting to put them, you know, in that time and place and, you know, uh, to think about it from these different perspectives. Yeah. Well, I think... Uh... Gas would say, and I think most people would say that <clears throat> the recognitions changed everything in U.S. fiction, uh, and that was that that was the thunderclap, and um, even more than Pynchon, because it was what ten years before Pynchon, or eight years, I can't remember. And uh, it, it was this event that, you know, they didn't, it didn't make much of an impression on the public, but it did on all the writers who are writers, writers. <laughs> That's who, you know, people like David Markson, uh, who knew Addis a little bit, uh, and Gas, who I don't think even knew him until he was on the committee to give the National Book Award to J.R., uh, but he knew of the recognitions. And, and all the so-called black humorists, Barth, uh, Elkin, Hawks, though, though Hawks, Hawks was uh, a little before the early Hawks books predated the recognitions. So um, they were all coming out at the same time. But I think the humor, the satire of the recognitions is, is something, you know, maybe he, Gaddis said he learned a lot from Evelyn Waugh, uh, this kind of biting social satire. I, I don't think you know, American fiction didn't go this far in, in, into biting satire, uh, for, for a while. Um, and it, it's, it's still, it's still resonating. I think, of course, the Foster Wallace and Rick Moody's and Donald Antrim's and Saunders, I think they all grow out of Gaddis. Definitely. 
what well, you read his whole body of work did you did you think any one was more of an accomplishment or did you you know do you lean towards one as the one that you really enjoy uh, i think i and i wrote this i see them as one long scroll um the you know the the last three are all very similar in that they're mostly dialogue um and they're set in very few place places like a house setting carpenter's gothic frolic is m mainly in in one house jr does does move around a lot but the, the last two are definitely housebound and um i i think they're all wonderful and i even i think carpenter's gothic because it's the shortest often gets short shrift but i you know there's a writer the famous uh joseph mcelroy who is still living and i'm sure was influenced by gaddis and part of the whole scene uh which he said the carpenter's gothic you know was gaddis's best written book and for for taking the story he did and constraining it to 250 pages i would i would have to agree with him but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that that's a favorite i think they're, they they all work well together but there are varying degrees. I mean, it's also the ages of Gaddis. In 55, he, he wrote it in his late 20s, early 30s. Then you have J.R. 20 years later. Very bitter, very bitter book. Carpenter's Gothic, 10 years later, even more bitter. You know, he's seeing, it, it was written out of seeing Reagan elected. And he was completely flabbergasted and, and angry about uh, the fundamentalist Christians. And then, uh, right a few years before he died, the frolic of his own, which it kind of goes back to the recognitions. It's, it, you know, it's a, it's a last work. It, it's more settled. It's kind of, you know, the, the humor is more kinder. There's a little more forgiveness. Um, there's still, that spite and anger about the culture and where it's going. Um, so I, I, I see them all. And then there's a, a gap, a gape, which was published uh, after he died, which is more a Bernhardt, Thomas Bernhardt uh, monologue, a rant, but, but it's, it's funny. And, I, I recently reread it and I did see more in it uh, this time. Well, so I know uh, next year in 1922 is the 100th anniversary of Gaddis's birth, yes. I think. And so there's a yeah. call for papers right now for a convention uh, that'll happen at Washington University in St. Louis. Is that something that you're flirting with it all? Is this in your wheelhouse, as they say? Well, maybe. I've, I'm not an academic. I, I don't know much about the, the academic community. I'd like to go, if only to, you know, see some of the people. I assume Stephen Moore would have to be there. I think He's, he'll give some kind of talk, yeah. Yeah. I would like to meet him and, and some other people. I wonder if one can just go and not have to write a paper. <laughs> I would assume that, yeah, you need people to pay money to go to this thing. So Yeah, I mean, I would pay money to go, and I would like uh, to go to the archives uh, of the university that has both Gas and Gaddis uh, to, to look through the archive, the archival materials, and, and see drafts and you know, things that are, are not in the public light. And hopefully the pandemic will have uh, run out of breath by then so that there's not a big health advisory. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you say that you're not an academic. Um, mm -hmm. 
how how what was your path to get to where you are you know so it seems like uh gaddis was not an academic either he i don't know that he got his mm-hmm. degree and then uh maybe joyce wasn't an academic well maybe he was i don't know <laughs> yeah many many weren't i mean don delillo Coetzee. I mean, Coetzee has degrees, but not in creative writing or, or literature. So there's Wordsworth, the, the list could go on. I, I, I didn't take an MFA. I, I just read and, and, you know, flailed about writing and writing and writing things that weren't good. And then I started to study more um on my own the writers that you know just mean a lot more like Hugh Kenner uh Guy Davenport poet critics Gas of course Cynthia Ozick uh Elizabeth Hardwick kind of reading reading their criticism w- was much more important than you know anything marxist or or any ideolo- ideological type of criticism and and reading their books really taught me about literature and so i just i i tried to emulate them and and write things that were made more for the common ear and not for subcommittees or (laughs) or whatever whatever committees are out there just for the the committee of people who like who love art that's what i was trying to do and so you mentioned you you've been working in the past on on longer things you know mm-hmm. is there anything that you're really spending your time on now and is there anything that we can look forward to in the in the future well, i mean outside like... of the whole audience going out and buying see what i can see <laughs> from serial Gore sure. grand press yeah sure a, a, a shorter novel, uh, it sounds like I have many novels, either I don't, uh, but a shorter novel that I'm, I'm trying to get to a, a good end. Um, I might have enough essays for another book, maybe in another half a year or so, because there's uh, I've been, I've been writing more essays, so I'm work, but, the, but I'm trying to prior prioritize the fiction that seems much more, uh, where my energy's going. So there's an agent or I have an agent. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't know what, uh, <laughs> what the market will bear. And, uh, so it's always interesting to see uh, what people, what I can get away with. Often this is what I feel, it's it's what I can get away with because I've been re- rejected so many times by so many places. Uh, so I, I feel I've been kind of clawing my way in. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you very much. It's great. You bet. You've been listening to Greg Gerke on 42 Minutes, production of SyncBook Radio on thesyncbook.com. For more information about his work, visit his website, greggerke.com. For more about the SyncBook, our guest, check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others. It's currently all the archives are free. We also feature a search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much. And life in a chair is the life of the mind.
gotta tell you, I'm feeling just the right Minimal to maximal amount of shattered by life My brain reads like an open book I shack up from the walking plank I travel down that mighty rocky road A heavy weight upon my broken bones And if I die before my time My last request, a trusty croaker An ample handful of painkillers Billy Barrows above my vision I have been reborn, yeah I have been reborn I have made a very big decision Running with 